You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. College football today. Oh, the dog days of summer. We are back in the saddle, 49 days away from the start of the 2017 college football season, live from Rock and Riley's State of the Art Studio, right here on 35th and 8th. Rock and Rich Sermonello, I am telling you, I am chomping at the bit for possibly the best opening week in college football that we've seen in recent years. Yeah, we're going to talk a lot of ACC today, Joe, and obviously the big marquee matchup in week one, prime time, 8 o'clock, September 2nd, Florida State against Alabama. Seminoles look like they're going to be the favorite in the ACC, but this is a conference, as you know, that is so deep, has so much talent, so much momentum off of last season that Florida State could get challenged, obviously Clemson defending national champs, but there are a lot of good teams that we're going to touch on throughout the uh, the morning. Buckle up. Rich and I have you covered for the next two hours. We're going to break down both divisions within the ACC. We have a great show planned for you today. At 1045 Eastern Time, we're going to be joined by former Bulldog wide receiver Corey Allen. We'll get Corey's take about some of the top teams within the Atlantic, Clemson, Florida State, and Louisville at 11. 30 Eastern time will be joined by former Virginia Tech running back Ken Oxendine. We'll get Ken's take about where the Hokies and Justin Fuente move from last year's ACC championship appearance, 10-4 and four overall, but major losses on the offensive side of the ball, including quarterback Gerard Evans. We'll get Ken's take about the Hokies in the 2017 season. If you want to talk college football with us, give us a call, 844-843-687. Seven nine. That's eight four four eight four three six eight seven nine. You could follow me on Twitter at go for the two. That's a number two. You could follow Rich on Twitter at Rich Sermonello. That's C I R M I N I E L L O. Rich, major, major breakthrough for the ACC last year. Clemson winning the national championship in dramatic fashion over Alabama, 35-31. to This was a conference that was 9-3 and overall, their best bowl season in years. The most they've ever won in a bowl season was five, and has many experts, including both of us, saying this could possibly be the best conference in college football. It's fascinating, isn't it, Joe? Because it wasn't that long ago that they had this tag, this label as a basketball conference. And obviously, basketball still rules the day on Tobacco Road. But now you have these powerhouse programs like Florida State and Clemson. Louisville has the defending Heisman Trophy winner in Lamar Jackson. What I want to look at this year, Joe, and I know we'll get into in greater depth Uh, throughout the morning is how much contribution are we going to get from the Coastal Division, which hasn't competed in recent years, but that could change if Miami continues to surge forward. Yeah, we're just going to get started. When we come back from break, we'll be breaking down the Atlantic, Clemson, Florida State, and Louisville. Don't touch that dial. Keep it where it is. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
on college football today, right here from Rock and Riley Studio, 35th and 8th. We were breaking down the ACC. We're going to get into it now, the Atlantic Division, and we're going to start, Rich, with the defending national champions, Clemson and head coach Davo Sweeney. I mean, a dynamic job last year. 14 and 1 overcoming Alabama with a last minute drive to win that ball game in Tampa. I mean, one of the best national championship games that we've seen in recent years or decades for that matter. A lot of people expecting Clemson and Dabo Sweeney to take a step back with the loss of Deshaun Watson, Wayne Gallman, and Mike Williams. But I have to be honest with you, I don't see it. I love the job that he has done. Uh, and more importantly, defensive coordinator Brett Venables has done with that defense. One of the top defensive lines in the country, led by Dexter Lawrence. I think Clemson wins the division, Rich. We'll get into it, but I want to get your take. Wow. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I mean, it's hard to argue at this point based on what Dabo Sweeney has done over the better part of the past decade in terms of really developing this program into a national powerhouse, Joe. They recruit excessively well. There's a culture of winning there, capped off the crowning achievement, as you mentioned, with the national championship last year over Alabama. And in terms of talent, Defensive line you mentioned, I think best in the country. Offensive line led by Mitch Hyatt at left tackle, among the best in the ACC. You still have skill position talent. Look for someone like Deion Kane at wide receiver to develop into a bona fide star this year. But when you go from Deshaun to what will likely be Kelly Bryant, yes, he's a veteran. He's been a backup before. But I think, Joe, those late-game moments, those games that Deshaun was able to pull out in the past, can we count on a Kelly Bryant? Do we look at the beginning of an era for Hunter Johnson, who is the future at quarterback at Clemson? I think that hole behind center takes this team from being a national championship contender down on just a notch, down to like a 10 or 11 win team. I think Florida State winds up being the team to beat in the division. Yeah, and that'll be the game, obviously, in Death Valley this year. Clemson did get the win last year, 37-34 to in Tallahassee. Last-minute drive by Deshaun Watson, and you bring up great points, but I'll start on the defensive side of the ball because I love what they have built there. Three years ago, they were the number one-ranked statistical defense in college football, allowing 261 total yards per game. They lost eight starters from that defense, and they made it to the national championship game, and they recorded 49 total sacks, Rich. They lost 24 and a half of those with the loss of Shaq Lawson and Kevin Dodd. They regrouped again with only five starters to get to the national championship game and really play exceptionally well on the defensive side of the ball against Alabama and Jalen Hurts, but the way they've built this defense from the inside out, I mean, you look at their defense a front seven. I mean, you could look at Pharrell, you could look at Wilkins, you could look at Dexter Lawrence. They run sideline mm -hmm. to sideline, a la Alabama and oh, Nick yeah. Saban. And that's what's the most impressive, I guess, characteristic of what Dabo Sweeney's built there is because they're eerily similar to what they Nick Saban has done in Tuscaloosa. They reload on the yeah. defensive side of the ball each and every year, and that's why they're contenders in the ACC. Yeah, now listen, it's hard to argue with that point, Joe. You mentioned Dexter Lawrence. Uh, you mentioned Christian Wilkins. These are not just really good college linemen. These are elite linemen. These are next-level players. I think these are the kinds of kids 
that get drafted in the top five or six picks. I mean, these are NFL-ready defensive linemen. So when you're that good at the point of attack, you know, back seven, you're missing Ben Bulware, uh, you're missing Cordrea Tankersley. There are some concerns, again, about the back seven. But the athletes that Venables brings in, his ability to coach up those kids, and then that dynamic presence up front, makes everyone so much better. So I can't argue with you. Defensively, they'll be as good, if not better, as last year. But again, my concern goes to offense, not just quarterback. I know you like Wayne Gallman. I like Wayne Gallman. They have good backs, but are we ready for someone like C.J. Fuller to actually shoulder the load? That's my concern is how many holes they have, backfield, wide receiver, is that enough for them to actually take a slip back in the Atlantic Division and, and really cede that to someone else? Well, those are the question marks that have to be answered, and we're not going to get the answers to those right now. Obviously, with the offseason, we'll get a better understanding of where the Tigers are as we inch closer to that Week 1 matchup against Kent State. But you bring up great points. I will say this about the offense, especially in, in terms of the wide receiver position. Outside of Deion Kane, they have playmakers like Hunter Renfro, and Ray Ray McLeod mm-hmm. that those th- those three players combined for 50% of the receiving production outside of Mike Williams last year. So I think that they have a solid group of players. And you mentioned uh, C.J. Fuller. I think he's a bruising back. He does have uh, a great burst and great vision. But Feaster as well. He's a little bit uh, of a smaller type of mm-hmm. back, a little bit uh, undersized, but he's utilized in the short to intermediate passing game. So I think that that can make up for it. I think it's you know, we've we've talked about Alabama and what they were able to do outside of the last few years in terms of starting first-year starting quarterbacks. They did it with a guy named Blake Sims. They did it with a guy in Jacob Coker. And they did it last year with Jalen Hurts to get back to the playoff each and every year. I think we could see the same thing with Clemson and Dabo Sweeney just for the simple fact of he is a giant killer. I mean, look at the teams that he's knocked off in recent years. Oklahoma. Ohio State, Alabama, he's knocked off LSU, he's knocked off Auburn, he's knocked off Notre Dame. I mean, the list goes Florida State twice, Louisville. I mean, so the list goes on and on about the teams that they were able to defeat with the loss of talent. And that's why I'm still all in with Dabo Sweeney and Brett Venables because Brett Venables has done a fantastic job in coaching up that secondary, allowing them to play man-to-man coverage and utilizing blitz packages to get quarterback pressures each and every year. Joe, I, I like your point. I didn't think about it until you brought it up. I really like your point about the comparison with Alabama because Alabama has sort of been the benchmark of how to retool with quarterbacks that maybe aren't you know next level, ready for the NFL-type quarterbacks. Uh, Jay Coker, you mentioned Blake Sims. It's a really good point. I, I think Clemson's going to need to follow that same model where – you know, the entire offense doesn't necessarily go through Kelly Bryant or if it winds up being Hunter Johnson at some point this season, that they're going to need more help. They're going to need a collaboration. And I think that's where the running game is going to be key. I think that's where the offensive line is going to be key because I mentioned Mitch Hyatt, Taylor Hearn, uh, Tyrone Crowder, the offensive guards. They really can bully opponents at the point of attack. Clemson will have to be a better running team this year to support 
whoever winds up being behind center. But I really like your point. I think that's going to have to be the model for Clemson this year. Last year, last couple of years with Deshaun Watson, more of a quarterback-centric team, more of a passing team. I think that needs to spread out a little bit in 2017 to get a little more support from that supporting cast. Yeah, I think that they go 11-1. I did pick them to go to the college football playoff, but their season really hinges in the first month of the year. They open up with Kent State, but then they get two solid tests, uh, Rich, with Auburn at home and then on the road against Lamar Jackson and Louisville. And if you don't think that Lamar Jackson has that game circled on his schedule for last year, almost pulled that game out in Death Valley, uh, their fourth down attempt coming up short within the red zone. Otherwise, we might be talking about Lamar Jackson Jackson and Louisville as being the playoff team last year because that might have carried momentum throughout the rest of the year. But in fact, Clemson is the national champions, but they do have a very difficult 2017 schedule. Yeah, I mean, looking ahead to week two, geez, I mean, I'm just, I know we're not talking so much SEC today, but I, I am fascinated by what Jared Stidham, the former Baylor quarterback, could mean to Gus Malzahn. And that Auburn offense, so you look at his first big test at Auburn against that Clemson defense that we discussed. So, yeah, opening month for Clemson, we're going to know right away whether or not they're national championship contenders for a second straight year because you got the Auburn in week two. You mentioned at Louisville in week three. I don't know if we're ready to talk Louisville yet, but uh, I'm just I, I'm really eager to see the development of Lamar Jackson throughout the offseason. We've heard that he's becoming more of a complete quarterback, better decision making, better mechanics in the pocket. If that's not the case, could be a long season for Louisville. It is, and there's many teams. I think we're in agreement that the Atlantic is, in fact, the strongest division of the ACC. Uh, the Coastal is up for grabs. A lot of teams losing their starting quarterback, and we'll break that down mm-hmm. in the second hour of the show. But, uh, Rich, before we go to break, do you really feel, because I do, I feel this was the best conference in college football. Do you feel, though, that a lot of people still don't believe in the ACC entering 2017? nationally joe i'll quickly say that i think most people still believe that this is a basketball conference that caught lightning in the bottle for a couple of years i disagree this is a loaded conference with a lot of talent along the atlantic seaboard we'll come back we'll break down florida state keep it where it is this is joe lisi rich sermonella on the fantasy sports radio network on the extended preseason edition of College Football Today right here on Rockin' Riley Studio, 35th and 8th. Rich Sermonello and I were talking about the ACC Atlantic. We broke down Clemson in great detail. We're going to move on now, Rich, to the team that a lot of people are picking to win the Atlantic in Florida State and Jimbo Fisher. They have one of the top quarterbacks in the conference in sophomore, DeAndre Francois, thrown into the mix, thrown into the fire. Week number one against Ole Miss, he really stepped up with a 400-yard passing performance in pulling that game out in dramatic fashion. On paper, this looks like the team to beat. I'm not so sure. I think they have some defensive holes Mm -hmm. to fill, but they do get Derwin James that does come back to that defense coming back from that ACL injury suffered last year. 
Yeah, I, I have no worries, Joe, about the defense at Florida State. I, I think this could be one of the premier defensive units in the country. When you look at the talent from front end to back end, you have bona fide stars up front with Josh Sweat, Brian Burns on the edge, Derek Noddy. I've watched some film of him this offseason. It's just a wrecking ball from the interior. You've got Matthew Thomas on the uh, at linebacker, and then you mentioned Derwin James, Tarvaris McFadden. Those are two potential All-Americans. I don't have a concern on defense, but to your point about Clemson possibly repeating this year, I'll make your case for you by saying my concern is offensively because – DeAndre Francois was he was a soldier last year as a rookie for that Florida State offense took an absolute beating in the pocket when the pocket was clean he really was a quality passer but that didn't happen often enough so my concern is what does the support staff look like for Francois in 2017? Now, I think he'll be fine in the backfield. Look for Cam Akers, the five-star true freshman. I think he'll be the second coming of Dalvin Cook. But after Francois took a beating last year, Joe, when I look at that offensive line of Florida State, I'm not fully convinced that he's not going to be treated like a garnet and gold pinata for a second straight year. <laughs> and that's going to be the cause of concern, obviously, when they face the Clemson Tigers uh, in Death Valley. I mean, he yeah. was sacked six times in that game last year in Tallahassee, and they really abused him at the end, especially when the game was on the line in the fourth quarter. That front seven really stepped up in a critical last-minute drive for DeAndre Francois. I think they sacked him uh, uh, two times on that last drive of the game, so that's a great point. I think the concern I have overall, though, is I know the defense got better as the year progressed last year. They only allowed 128 rushing yards per game, but they do lose to Marcus Walker, their senior leader for that team that really led that team with 16 and a half sacks. That's the loss that really hurts, and I know they have players like Sweat on the front seven that can make up for his loss in terms of production. But I really feel he was the guy that anchored that defense. And now when you look at some of the losses that they had in, in 2016, especially that road loss to Louisville and Lamar Jackson, I did not see an aggressive physical defense at that point in the season. They did get better, but that's a concern that I have for the defense. I will say this about the offense. Totally in agreement with you about the offensive line. And how big are the losses at the wide receiver position with yep. Bobo Wilson and Travis Rudolph that now have moved on to the NFL? Yeah, no, I listen, I agree with you, Joe. I think that goes back to the point that uh, for DeAndre Francois to take the next step as a sophomore, for him to evolve into not only one of the best quarterbacks in the ACC, but possibly one of the better young quarterbacks nationally, He's going to need protection, but he's going to need more reliable hands. Couldn't agree with you more. Now, Nyquan Murray is a young, undersized, speedy wide receiver who just tore it up in the postseason last year. Someone like he and Alden Tate are going to have to take the next step because Francois is going to need the kind of receivers that when he puts a pass out in the flat, when he looks to go deep, he needs those receivers to pull the ball in, give him the confidence to develop in 2017. So offensively, that's a worry. And, and listen, you and I are both concerned about the offensive line. Clemson will obviously be a, a just a, a Herculean test for that unit. 
but in week one, it's against Alabama. It's it's Deron Payne on the interior against the inside of that Florida State offensive line, and I, I think that's got to make Knowles fans shudder at this point. And you look at that Alabama game. Alabama hasn't lost a week one opening season matchup since 2001. The last loss that they uh, incurred was week number one, 2001, against UCLA in Tuscaloosa. I mean, they've won 15 straight season opening games yeah. by 25.4 points per game, and they're five-and-a-half-point favorites right now early in Vegas right at this moment. It did creep up, I think, six and a half, seven. So we'll see. We'll break that game down later in the year. But that's a solid week one matchup. And and really, that's where Florida State's national championship hopes rely. If this team is going to win an ACC title, if this team is going to be a playoff caliber team, it all starts week one. I think if, if they get blown out by Alabama, that could really affect yeah. the psychological effect of a young team, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Because I think when you look at Jimbo uh, yeah. Fisher, right, Rich? I mean, when you look at Fisher, he's done an absolute great job, fantastic job. He's a fantastic recruiter. But let's be honest, since that 2013 season, we're slowly creeping the other way. I mean, undefeated season, then they backed that up, 13-1 mark, and now 10-3 back-to-back years. This is supposed to be an elite team. And now we're sort of going the other way. Do you think Florida State is, you know, Jimbo Fisher could possibly be on the hot seat if this team doesn't live up to expectations? Well, listen, I, I think no in terms of potentially being fired. Absolutely. I think I think there's a 0% chance of that for this season. But when you're coaching, as you know, at a Florida State, at an Ohio State, at a USC, I, I think you almost begin every year on the hot seat. I, I, I think the, uh, the pressure to deliver on a high level is immense at, at eight or nine programs across the country, a large portion of the SEC as well. But he has done a tremendous job. He's turned things around from the Bobby Bowden era, but he has lost some ground to Clemson in the past couple of seasons. And that's something that people in Tallahassee are keenly aware of. He has the talent. I think he'll be slightly favored to win the ACC. And and that'll be some baggage that he'll have to carry into the offseason if they fall behind Clemson once again this year, especially since he has the better quarterback, has a lot of returning talent, and neither of us can can overstate the importance of Derwin James. I, I think when you look at a safety of his caliber, he is the second coming of Jalen Ramsey now with the Jacksonville Jaguars. A player like that is a transformational figure for a defense. Getting him back from in, uh, from injury is just immensely important for that entire unit. Yeah, we'll see how that plays out week one. But you talk about Florida State's schedule, Rich. I mean, it, it is very, very difficult to start September. They open with Alabama. Then they have Louisiana Monroe. Followed that up on the 16th against arch rival Miami. The game is at home. But they follow that up with NC State, who, in my opinion, is one of the most upstart teams within the conference. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the first three of four games to start their year, I mean, it's make it or break it, pedal to the metal. Uh, otherwise, this team could be on the outside looking in. The one fortunate thing for Florida State in the early going, Joe, is no true road games in the month of September. That Miami game, which will be very difficult. I, I, I have to correct myself. September 30th at Wake Forest. I, I don't want to dismiss the Demon Deacons that that's not a road game. It is. Uh, but those first three games, no true road games. And, and 
you know, you're going to have you're going to be battered in week one against Alabama. Uh, you'll get a bit of a layup against UL Monroe, but home against Miami, home against NC State, those are back-to-back very difficult games. I'm bullish on Miami. If the quarterback play is average to better than average with Miami, you look at the talent that they have building along the defensive line, offensive line, skill position with Mark, Walt, uh, Mark Walton and Naaman Richards at wide receiver. You know, those are some really tough back-to-back tests for the Seminoles. I'll say this. I mean, obviously the game in Death Valley is going to be a stiff, stiff test for the Seminoles, but don't discount that Louisville game. A lot of people have that circled as a revenge game. Florida State is just going to dominate Lamar Jackson. I'll say this right now. I think from a scheme perspective, I think Louisville poses a lot of problems for Florida State's defense. They they couldn't contain Lamar Jackson in that game last year. Don't expect the same, same, in my opinion, in that matchup I think from a scheme perspective Louisville matches up very well with Florida State and even though the game is at home that's a game I have circled as possibly a loss for the Seminoles because it's not an easy matchup when you have the Heisman Trophy winner coming into town yeah, no, there's no question about it. I mean, Lamar Jackson is going to present problems. Freakish athlete. We saw that last year against the Seminoles. I, I think this is a case where a Derwin James could spend the entire afternoon slash evening, whenever this game is played, just spying Lamar Jackson. I mean, this this could be a mono-a-mono type of a matchup. Lamar Jackson versus Derwin James. You have one objective for four quarters just follow that quarterback wherever he goes. That should be one to watch. Yeah, I think when I picked Florida State this year, I think they're the second best team within the division. It does hinge on quarterback DeAndre Francois. I have them 10-2 overall, but again, it all Mm -hmm. hinges on the month of September. In your opinion, before we go to break, Rich, do you think this is a playoff caliber team at this point in the offseason right now, what he has on the offense and defensive uh, sides of the ball? Six starters on offense, nine on defense i do yeah i do i think the acc has two playoff contenders florida state with just a razor edge over clemson just based simply on quarterback play and quarterback experience i have it florida state one clemson one at yeah when we come back we'll be talking about nc state and louisville we're talking acc atlantic this is joe lisi rich sermonello on the fantasy sports radio network Back on College Football today from Rockin' Riley State of the Art Studio, 35th and 8th. We continue our coverage of the ACC Atlantic Division. We talked about Clemson. We talked about Florida State. We're going to turn our attention to Lamar Jackson and Louisville. Bobby Petrino and the crew looking to break through after last year's 9-4. and four, I want to say disappointing season because I think a lot of people thought after they started very fast in 2016, this could be a possible playoff team. In order to take it to the next level, Rich, though, they have major loss is on the defensive side of the ball. They lose Devontae Fields. They lose uh, Keith Kelsey. They lose Josh Harvey Clemens. And, of course, their corner, Shaq Wiggins, that moved on to Tennessee. A lot of losses, not only on the offense, but the defensive side of the ball that will make or break Louisville's season. 
Yeah, I would label it disappointing, only because the expectations, as you remember, Joe, were raised so high. This did look look, look, look a playoff team. It, it appeared in November that they'd have a shot of playing their way into the playoffs, but then they finished the season with three consecutive listless losses uh, versus Houston, versus rival Kentucky. They barely showed up in the bowl game against LSU. I, I, I think it's a feast or famine type of program. It's consistent with a Bobby Petrino program. They're exciting. They're athletic. They obviously have the star quarterback, but I just don't know what to expect from those players around Lamar Jackson. When Lamar is hot, yeah, we've seen it. He can carry them to victories against anyone. But with the number of sacks they allow, with the turnovers that they commit, with the occasional defensive breakdowns, I just feel like there's not enough consistency for me to be excited about Louisville as an ACC Atlantic contender. So I say you got to watch them every single week, but I just don't think they rise to that level this year. Yeah, and that's a great point. I think when you look at the offense, you brought up the sack total last year, 47 total sacks. Two years ago, it was 44 total sacks. And with Lamar Jackson's mobility, it's sort of intriguing. Uh, why does that happen? And I've said it before. I said uh, when I compared uh, Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson last year, I thought, Deshaun Watson was a much better quarterback in distributing the football to his playmakers as opposed to trying to make plays on each and every play like Lamar Jackson. And when we saw defenses keep him in the pocket to force him to make his reads and progressions, he struggled as a passer. Now, that being said, he's one of the most dynamic players in college football. 51 total touchdowns last year, 21 uh, touchdowns on the ground, 30 through the air. But against those touchdowns, Top defenses like Clemson and LSU in the bowl game, when they forced them to stay in the pocket, a different type of quarterback and not as lethal, in my opinion. Uh, you nailed it. I mean, you nailed the storyline. That is the headline of two of Louisville football for, for 2017, Joe. And that is how much development do we see from Lamar Jackson as a complete quarterback, somebody who can stay in the pocket and still deliver the ball to his targets? And those targets lost a lot of proven players as well. I mean, I think a lot is going to be expected from Jalen Smith on the outside, but he doesn't have a lot in terms of the supporting cast running back or at wide receiver. Defenses are going to play Lamar Jackson the way Houston, Kentucky, and LSU did late last year. Keep him in the pocket. Force him to make his reads. Force him to go through his progressions. Don't allow him to rely as much on his legs. How Lamar Jackson reacts to that new reality will dictate how far the Cardinals can go this year. That's a great point. And now he has Reggie Bonifin, the former quarterback, that has made the transition now to receiver because they are thin entering the year. You mentioned uh, the playmaker and Smith coming back, but here's what they have. They lose James Quick, they lose their tight end, and they lose Jamari Staples that accounted rich. Uh, when you look at the reception mm -hmm. totals by these guys, I mean, 95 between uh, Quick and uh, Hikatuni, right? Did I say that right? I know I butcher names, but yep, uh, Cole Hickatuni, right, you got correct. it. You got so it. So yep. ninety-five between that. Staples added thirty-six receptions. I mean, the touchdown uh, production yep. from those guys: sixteen total touchdowns lost. And when you talk about a playmaker like Lamar Jackson, that has to distribute the football now, especially vertically, because when you look at teams like Clemson and you look at teams like Florida.
Florida State. I mean, that's what they're going to force you to do from a defensive perspective, stretch their defense vertically because they are very solid in run support. So uh, can this team do it? I'm not so sure. I picked them at 8-4 and four overall. I'm not sold on what they have on the defensive side of the ball. And more importantly, not sold on Bobby Petrino as a coach. He's been on the cusp before, took a team into Arkansas, very close, but just never close enough to break through. Obviously had great success there yep. with guys like Stephen LaFleur's back in Louisville, Lionel Gates uh, back in the day in, uh, you know, in that group, but has never been able to take his teams to the next level. And that's what I worry about in terms of this 2017 team uh, for Bobby Petrino and the crew. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think he'll ride Lamar Jackson as far as he can this season. In all likelihood, I would disagree with the decision, but I think it'll be his final year as a college quarterback. I do think he'll turn pro uh, at the end of his junior season. I don't believe he's NFL ready by any stretch of the imagination, but the lure of that money, I think we'll have Lamar Jackson vying for the 2018 NFL draft. But, you know, I'll also take a look at the schedule. It's a challenging September start. I, I think if this team is going to regroup, they better do it quickly because, it's Purdue, which will be better under new head coach Jeff Brom. It's at North Carolina. Yes, it's rebuilding, but the game is in Chapel Hill. And then week three, that big showdown against Clemson. So offensively and defensively, that new staff, they have a new defensive coordinator. Todd Grantham is no longer around. Peter Sermon is the new defensive coordinator. So there are a lot of wheels in motion for Louisville. They have the one given in Lamar Jackson, but I want to see more from both sides of the ball. I want to see more playmaking, Joe, from the defense. Good athletes like Stacey Thomas, defensive end Drew Bailey, Jair Alexander, a cornerback who I've talked to pro scouts. They really like, but they believe he's raw. And I think that's sort of the, the overriding theme of Louisville. They're good. They're exciting. They can scare you. But can they bring it week in and week out? I think there's a lot to prove for this team. And you mentioned Todd Grantham. He was the former uh, coordinator for the University of Georgia, and he had great success with Louisville in their defense. They only allowed 115 rushing yards per game. They did record 30 sacks. But I have to be honest with you. I thought this defense overachieved uh, 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 with Todd Grantham at the helm, and he moves on now to Mississippi State. Uh, again, it's going to be uh, you know a new scheme a new play caller, and I've always said this with a new either offense or defensive coordinator, and people can argue it, but I think it's true. Even though you might be running the same type of scheme with the same athletes, you're seeing the game through a different set of eyes, and what I mean by that is the new coordinator has to understand how that talent around him responds in game situations. He has to develop mm -hmm. a game plan for that talent, and then he might be either less or more aggressive than the former coordinator in certain game situations which could affect outcomes or more importantly production for that defensive unit or offensive unit for that matter and that's why I don't think it's as easy as a transition of as a lot of people yeah. think I mean it's not just oh you pick up from where you were week number uh, 17 of last year and week number one of the new season you, you don't miss a beat there is a transition in place and sometimes could take a whole season to figure out 
Yeah, no, I, I think that's I think that's a fair comment, and and I think when you look at Peter Sermon, he's an up and comer, uh, but he's young. I, you know, it was basically a trade with Mississippi State. He does have SEC experience, but this is someone who's still in the early stages of his coaching career. He's the rare former NFL player who's now a coordinator, former linebacker, I believe, with the Tennessee Titans. So he's still kind of cutting his teeth in the industry. He's still learning about the process of coaching college players. He inherits this mix of talent. So, yeah, it, it could take a while. And right off the bat, I mean, Joe, I'm going to go with you here. Purdue in week one, David Blau. I'm going to get it started for you, baby. We're going to do some <laughs> Boilermaker talk even before we get to the Big Ten. Well, that's because you know, That Jeff could be a Brum, tough challenge for that defense. That's because, That could be a tough challenge yeah, for the defense in week one. Great point, because I have always said this. When you have an underdog week number one, and they have six months to prepare, especially with the new coach yeah. and Jeff Brom, expect them to be prepared, especially when you have a young upstart yeah. coach. He brought great success to Western Kentucky. Uh, expect the same. It might not be year number one but this will be an explosive mm -hmm. offense for Purdue. I mean, David Blau, 25 yep. touchdown passes. He did throw 21 interceptions last year, but he was a quarterback that could stretch defenses vertically, and under Jeff Brom's tutelage, that could be a very dangerous game in Indianapolis, so we'll see how that plays out. I have this team 8-4, and four, Well, Joe, Rich. Joe, if I could, if I, if I could, Joe, where, where did Jeff Brom go to school? <laughs> Louisville. He went to Louisville. So, I mean, that, there could be just a little extra on the line as he begins his career at Purdue. That, that could be a fascinating opener. It can be. And we're just getting started in our preseason talk. You stay with us each and every Saturday. We're going to be here with you at 10 to 12 p.m. Eastern time. We'll be breaking down every key conference, every major game throughout the college football season. Keep it where it is. Before we go to break, though, Rich, I do want to talk about this team uh, briefly. NC State, to me, has the potential yeah, yeah. to be the surprise team in the conference. Now, I don't think they're going to win the Atlantic, but I think this is mm -hmm. a team 9-3 and three overall that has a lot of solid pieces in place, not just on the offense with Ryan Finley, the quarterback, but on the defensive front seven led by defensive end Bradley Chubb. An absolute wild card, a wild card that's worth watching. They've got the veteran quarterback in Ryan Finley. I want to make sure we save some time to talk about that defensive front because I think they're among the top 10 best defensive lines in the country, and I'd like to drill down a little further on that. When we come back, we'll be joined by former Bulldog Corey Allen. We'll get his take on some of the top teams in the ACC. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on College Football Today, right here on Studio 34, Rockin' Riley's state-of-the-art studio. I'm telling you, if you want to watch college football throughout the season, you got to check this place out. Screens everywhere. The place to be front and center stage for the 2017 season. Rich and I were talking about the ACC Atlantic Division. We broke down Clemson. We broke down Florida State. We broke down Louisville. But what better way to break down ACC than with a former big-time player get his take about this major conference. We're joined on the Fantasy Sports 
Sports celebrity guest line by former Georgia Bulldog wide receiver Corey Allen. Corey, a lot of people say in the SEC took a step back with Alabama's loss to Clemson last year. I'm one of those people. I think ACC is front and center stage. What are your thoughts about this conference entering the 2017 season? I'll tell you what, Joe. First and foremost, thanks for having me. I really appreciate hanging out with you and Rich. But to be honest with you, you're exactly right. The ACC is coming off a banner year. Uh, When you take home two of the most prestigious awards in the national championship with your Clemson Tigers and the Heisman winner in Lamar Jackson out of Louisville, then you do have a lot to pound your chest about. And I think right now, the ACC, they want to see if they can actually hold water. They've done a great job over the last four years with two championships and two Heisman winners. So the momentum has to be in their favor. And, and, and as an SEC guy, I really can't deny that. You know, the question is, are they going to be able to maintain that? And I think that's really what we're looking at here today as you guys have covered a lot of these teams already. You know, who's going to step to the plate is the biggest question because they've got a lot of big games. And they also have a lot of teams that play a pretty balanced and difficult non-conference schedule along with some crossover matchups. So I see this is a, another opportunity for the ACC, but someone's going to have to rise to the cream of the crop. And uh, right now it's still in question, but we have a lot of contenders on some great teams that are heading into the 2017 campaign. Hey, Corey, it's Rich. How's your summer going? Uh, not bad at all, Rich. I appreciate you asking. It's hot down here in Atlanta, so uh, we're ready for football season, and we're, we're, we're chomping at the bit. Yeah, yeah, Joe and I are the same way. I wanted to ask you about Miami. I, I, you know, we, we talk a lot about Florida State and Clemson, as we should. Miami, if they get back to Miami of the old, that could really take this conference to an even higher level. What are your expectations for this team obviously mark Richt, former georgia coach now in his second season i like the talent but i'm curious to get your take of what your expectations will be for the hurricanes in 2017 well as a former mark rick supporter when he was at georgia i understand he knows how to build an offense and when i look at miami to be honest with you rich i i, I feel that miami is going to be a team that can compete for the division crown because of two real major factors they are talented first and foremost but the schedule is really in their favor to have a lot of premium matchups uh, either at home or some games that are going to be a uh, heavy favorite for the Miami Hurricanes. Uh, right now, Florida State is going to be the only train that's in the way, and they could potentially get two shots at Florida State if they handle their, biz- their business in their own division. But the strength of the team, I feel, is going to be the defense. They've got great linebacker playing playmakers like Shaq Quarterman. You also have on the other side of the ball a guy who can help maintain ball control when you look at Walton at running back. So uh, Amon Richards is very explosive at receiver. So I think Mark Rick in total has enough playmakers to put Miami in position along with the scheduling, Rich. I think it's really going to benefit that home crowd to play a factor in how they perform. Corey, we're going to keep you on at the back end of this break, but I just want to get your thoughts. Do you feel like Lamar Jackson is the best player in the conference? Well, I think you have to look at the returning Heisman Trophy winner as a candidate for best player in the conference, and I don't think he's lost a step. He's a young kid who continues to develop as a passer, and he's already shown what he can do with his feet, especially when you put him under pressure. So I think Lamar Jackson is the premier player that you're going to have to stop, especially when you face Louisville, because he can do dynamic things with the ball in his hand, whether he's in the pocket or not. So to answer your question, yes, of course, he's a Heisman 
champion for a reason, so he's definitely in the conversation. We'll take a quick break. Keep it where it is. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. College football today. Back on College Football Today, live from Studio 34, Rockin' Riley's Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, and former Georgia Bulldog wide receiver Corey Allen, live on the Fantasy Sports Celebrity Guest Line. We're breaking down the ACC Conference. Corey, when we left, I asked you about Lamar Jackson. I want to get your take about former Bulldog uh, head coach Mark Richt. Rich touched on it earlier. He can never take the Bulldogs back to the promised land and a sec title but for me i think this team needs to take another step on the defensive side of the ball he got some young playmakers involved do you feel like mark ripped is the coach to do that known as an offensive mind and an offensive genius wasn't able to turn around george's defense in his last uh, tenure there in athens your thoughts about mark Richt and the defensive side of the ball for the miami hurricanes I think Mark Rick still has an opportunity to uh, write his legacy. I don't think what he did in Athens is going to be the complete book out on Coach Rick. I think he did leave a lot on the table as far as opportunity to get Georgia to a championship level or championship caliber uh, team, and he he did miss out on a few of those chances. But I feel like he probably, uh, as a young man in that position, learned a lot from that experience at Georgia, and he does have the great platform of and not just being a former uh, coach, but being an alumni from uh, the Miami, excuse me, the University of Miami, so that he has the opportunity to build and get to the point where he can continue to put himself in that position, Joe. And I think he'll thrive because. He not only has the support from the fan base, but he does have the talent. And if you if you put a man in uh, those tough circumstances uh, multiple times, he does uh, force himself to learn. I think Coach Rich is in a great position because he knows the mistakes that were made in Athens. He understands them. I think uh, he's already said himself he was a, a little bit too hands-off. He hired a staff that uh, he, he gave too much responsibility to. So this is a chance for him to right that wrong and go ahead and take care of business on the home front, and he has, again, the talent at Miami to do so. Corey, when I look at the totality of the ACC uh, heading into this year, one of the big question marks is going to center on young quarterbacks taking over. Mitch Trubisky's gone. Brad Kai is gone. Deshaun is gone. So many teams are going to be breaking in young, first-time starting quarterbacks. As a receiver, what are some of the things that you look for in the development of a, a quarterback who's now on center stage for the first time in his career? I think the first thing you're going to look for in your quarterback as a receiver is poise. You want to make sure that the guy under center is not afraid of the spotlight and who could, a guy who can handle that pressure because there are going to be a lot of tough decisions that have to be made in that pocket. And you just want your guy to feel confident in the fact that he knows what he's facing and he understands you know, the task ahead of him, uh, what, whatever the defense might shoot at him or whatever the defensive coordinator might uh, throw at him. He needs to be ready for it, and you have to do it with a certain level of character because if you, if you panic under pressure, your teammates are going to be the first ones to see that, 
And I feel like that's the main thing that we look for in that huddle. We can look in each other's eyes and understand who's afraid and who's not afraid to step up in big moments. So as a quarterback, being the leader of the offense, you definitely, as a wide receiver, as a tight end, as a tackle, you want to see the confidence in your signal caller to understand he's prepared. We'll, we'll head to break, Corey. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on College Football Today, live from Studio 34, Rockin' Riley's. We're talking ACC Conference. When we left off, we were talking about Miami. We were talking about some of the other teams in the conference, such as North Carolina, Virginia Tech. We're joined by former Bulldog wide receiver Corey Allen. Corey, if I had to, just before we go, if I had to give you a pick in the Atlantic and the Coastal Division, are you going with Florida State and are you going with Miami or do you like two other teams for your picks? I'll be honest with you, Joe. I'm gonna. I'm pretty much chalked because of what I see on the talent side. Florida State's defense is going to continue to be a force to reckon with, and I think it's going to be tough for any team in the conference to slow down what Francois can do on the offensive side of the ball. At the uh, at the same token, Miami right now the cupboard is full, and I think Mark Rick is going to take advantage of the opportunity. He has the schedule in place. He has the talent in place. He just needs to step up and make sure his signal caller is really ready to go and take advantage of this shot that they have at their own division. But I do see those as the front runners. Louisville and Virginia Tech are going to challenge, but those are the front runners out of Florida. Corey, it's always a pleasure. We thank you for joining us today. As we get inch closer to the start of the college football season, we'll have you on each and every week breaking down uh, the major conference, your conference, the SEC. We hope you enjoyed it today. Hey, thanks for having me, fellas. You guys have a good one. It's always fun, and uh, I enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. That was former Bulldog wide receiver Corey Allen. Very intriguing remarks about Mark Richt, and the reason why I asked him that, Rich, was because a lot of fans in Georgia obviously wanted a change now with Kirby Smart there, and he is at his alma mater, and in order for Miami, in my opinion, to take the next step outside a 9-4 and season, they're going to have to bring it with a physicality on the defensive side of the ball, a la guys like Ray Lewis, a la guys like Jesse Armstead, and the former former Hurricanes like Bernard Clark that made that university. And that's not his M.O. as a head coach. Yeah, and you have to hope that it's going to be the M.O. of Manny Diaz, who I, I thought did a good job as the defensive coordinator in his first year with the Hurricanes last year, inherited not only a new team, but a very young team. Corey talked about Shaq Quarterman. He was one of three, not just freshmen, but true freshmen starting linebackers. Miami went very young defensively, and now a lot of those young players are moving into their second season or becoming upperclassmen. So a lot of names that nationally I think people haven't heard of. Joe Jackson up front, Kendrick Norton up front, uh, Shaq Quarterman, Michael Pinckney, and Zach McLeod at linebacker. Secondary is going to be a concern, but I'm going to throw one more name out for you. There's been a lot of big transfers, a lot of Malik Zaires to Florida, a lot of you know Brandon Harris to North Carolina. But Dee Delaney is a, a cornerback from the FCS level who I think is going to be an instant star for the Hurricanes. So there's a lot of defensive talent 
for Diaz to work with in his second season with the Hurricanes. Uh, and that's a great point. We'll get into Miami and the Coastal in a little bit, but let's stick to, to the Atlantic where we were. We left it off mm-hmm. with NC State. Now, for me, I think this is a dangerous team. I mean, you look at some of the offensive playmakers they have, like Jalen Samuels, H-back slash tight end, wide receivers, a do-it-your-all type of wide receiver that is utilized on fly sweeps and reverses. But to me, it was the progression of quarterback Ryan Fitz. 18 touchdowns, 8 interceptions, and what they were able to do in their bowl win over Vanderbilt. Uh, This defense only allowed 108 rushing yards per game, and they have four guys on that defensive front seven that could possibly play on the next level. I love what Dave Doran has done last year. Uh, I've said it before. You weren't all in last year, but I think after they knocked off Notre Dame in that monsoon, it had you believing that this could possibly be a team to contend in in the ACC Atlantic. Yeah, I mean, NC State really confuses me. You know, one day I'll I'll look at the talent and I'll basically echo what you just said, Joe, that Jalen Samuels is playing on Sundays. And Ryan Finley, the Boise State transfer, is a perfect senior quarterback to run that offense. And the wide receivers are talented players who can stretch defenses. The defensive line is shockingly loaded. I mean, I think people who don't follow the ACC or don't follow North Carolina State, they'd be surprised at how talented they are. Bradley Chubb, Kentavious Street, Darian Roseboro, these are all guys who are going to play on Sunday. But the opposite side of my brain keeps telling me that Dave Doran is going to make me look stupid <laughs> because he has had talent with the Wolfpack. But these are the – and I hate throwing out too many numbers. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to – you know, put out too many numbers on a, on a beautiful Saturday morning. But you got to think about this, Joe. Against FBS opponents with winning records, he's, six, he's five and 24. Against FBS opponents with losing records, Dave Doran is 16 and two at NC State. It's that five and 24 against quality opponents from the FBS. That really concerns me. So this is more of a a coaching concern that I have. The talent is there. They could be this year's Louisville. They could be in that 9-10 to win range based on the talent. But, man, Dave Doran has got to prove it to me this year. Yeah, I think the one thing that when you look at his offensive coaching style, I mean, the one thing that he predicated for years now has been offensive balance. You know, they were up to around 200 rushing yards per game each and every year, and they would throw off a play action. Last year, they dipped down to around 156 yards per game. He loses Matt Days, his running back. But I seen progression at the end of the year. And you bring up great points, but let's look at some of the games against the elite teams within the division. Two, in fact, Clemson and Florida State. They lost to Clemson in yeah. Death Valley in overtime. Really, if they kicked that field goal, they might have knocked off the yep. Sweeney and the crew. And they had DeAndre yep. Francois and Florida State on the ropes. They lost that game 24-20 to in Raleigh. They should have won that game and let it slip in the last two minutes. So otherwise, you look at this team overall, they could have been 9-4 in 2016, which instead of 7-6 could have had a lot more people buying into this team entering this coming season. 
Yeah, Joe, you know this. You're an athlete yourself. You've been around athletes. You've covered athletes. You know what it takes at this point. And it's all about believing that you can win. They went toe-to-toe, you're right, with Clemson and Florida State. Those were great defensive efforts. Should have beaten Clemson if it wasn't for the Kyle Bambard uh, missed field goal in overtime. So they're good enough to compete. But do they have the mindset? Do they have the chops? Do they believe it in their gut? That when it comes to crunch time, they could not just have moral victories, but they can have the real victories that propel them into the top 25. I I think it's all a matter of confidence right now. It's going to start in week one against the South Carolina team that I think is going to be underrated in 2017. If they can dominate the way they dominated Vandy at the end of last season, that could be the springboard for for NC State to be somewhat of a fly in the ointment. Well, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go too off off uh, plot here or too off script. But I love NC State week one over South Carolina. Okay. I mean, I mean that's just. I okay. mean that's a game I've had circle. I'll tell you this just quick about South Carolina. They beat one team with a winning record in 2016. It was the Tennessee Volunteers. So uh, I know they were six and seven. They have a quarterback in Jake Bentley and they have Rico Dowdle and, and Muschamp did a great job but defensively they still have some holes but that's a game that I think NC State matches up very well. I'll say mm-hmm. this overall though, you're absolutely right about every point you've brought up. The one thing about NC State that they have struggled in the past is they struggle with speed teams that could stretch them over the top and vertically. They allow 244 passing yards per game. Their secondary isn't as strong as some of the other teams that we've mentioned and that's going to make or break whether this team breaks through for 2017. So here's what I have for my Atlantic. I have Clemson at 11 and 1, I have Florida State and 10 and 2, I have NC State at 9 and 3, Rich, and I have Louisville at 8 and 4. After that, I have Boston College, Wake Forest at both 500, 6 and 6 overall, and I do have Dino Babers and Syracuse at the bottom at 4 and 8. I think they overachieved last year. Any thoughts about how you play it out for 2017 yeah I I mean I would flip it a little bit up top I have Florida State over Clemson I agree with you on NC State I'll, I'll put some chips on NC State at this point just because I you know when you have that kind of defensive line talent that could be game changer in terms of the back seven I think that front four could be the impetus for a lot of turnovers this season and you have a veteran quarterback it's a good starting point I have Louisville fourth you know, the, uh, Wake Forest returns a lot of talent. They're, they're uh, veteran talent at quarterback. Duke Ejiofor, the defensive end, very good on the defensive line. I think the one team that could be a bit of a surprise this year is Syracuse. If Eric Dungy, the quarterback, can stay healthy, second year in Dino Babers' system, I think Syracuse at a minimum. The defense might be awful, but the offense could keep them in a lot of games. I won't be surprised, Joe, if there's some shootouts involving, involving Syracuse and more talented teams where the Orange put a real scare in their opponents. Yeah, they did knock off Virginia Tech and Gerard Evans in the Dome, so those are great points. When we come back, Rich and I will be breaking down the ACC Coastal. Don't turn that dial. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
back on College Football Today right here on Studio 34, New York City. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello talking ACC. We gave our picks for the Atlantic. We're going to turn our attention to the Coastal. And here's where I have a surprise. I'm all in, Rich. I know I'm going to get you riled up early. We're only in July. I love Paul Johnson and Georgia Tech to win the Coastal this year. It's my surprise team. I have reasons to back it up, but I want to get your quick thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised. I, I'm eager to hear your thoughts. Uh, I didn't really give a lot of thought to Georgia Tech when, when evaluating the top end of the Coastal Division. I will name one player that I'm very intrigued by. That's Dedrick Mills. I think he's a classic be-back in that Paul Johnson system. You know, you got a new quarterback. Uh, Mills is going to really be the guy that they lean on. He was dynamic last year despite missing some time early in his career. So running the ball will not be an issue. It never is for this team but defensively it's been a really long time since that unit gave us something to cheer about the sacks the turnovers takeaways big plays that flip the field I just don't get inspired by this Yellow Jacket team. Well, here's the thing. He was on the hot seat last year. He, he breaks through with a 9-4 and four overall uh, record, knocks off Kentucky in the bowl game, loses his quarterback, Justin Thomas. So uh, a lot of people saying Georgia Tech takes a step back. I don't see it. I'll tell you why. When you look at the quarterback play within the Coastal Conference, yes, Georgia Tech loses their quarterback, uh, Justin Thomas. But Virginia Tech loses Gerard Evans. Pittsburgh loses Nate Peterman. You look at... Uh, 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 Miami with Brad Kaya. Uh, I mean, North Carolina with Mitch Trubisky. All of those teams lose starting quarterbacks. The one offense that could afford to lose their starting quarterback mm-hmm. is Georgia Tech because of the zone blocking scheme with the triple option. They don't ask a lot out of their quarterback. It's more of a plug and play type of system. You look at what Navy did when they lost their quarterback last year due to injury. Worth stepped in. That offense did not miss a beat and coupled with the fact that Georgia Tech last year hammered three SEC opponents they beat up on Vanderbilt they knocked off Kentucky and they beat Georgia they were three and oh against the SEC and they opened week number one against a vulnerable Tennessee team in my opinion week number one in Atlanta if they win that ball game in my opinion that could propel them to a coastal title See, when you do this to me, you get me so excited for the start of the season, Joe, because I wasn't thinking Tennessee, Georgia Tech, but all of a sudden now the, all the storylines are just ripping through my mind. Yeah, now, now I'm excited for volunteers and Yellow Jackets. I'll go back to the defense, and, and it's a fair point. I like your logic. I like the way you're piecing it together as far as the, the quarterbacks. I, I, I think you know Georgia Tech's not going to have the drop-off that others will, but you failed to mention that Daniel Jones at Duke, I think he's an emerging superstar for David Cutcliffe, number one at quarterback. Number two, Pittsburgh, yes, they lost Nate Peterman. I don't know how much the drop-off is going to be, but they do get a former blue chipper in Max Brown from USC to toss the ball around to Jester Wee and Kadri Henderson. So I'm not sure if this is a typical situation for Pittsburgh. And again, I would pose this question to you. And I'm going to be on you all year about Georgia Tech, especially with that open. You got it. Tennessee. You got it. This is what we do. We're, you and I are going to go toe to toe this year because now I know I know what your Achilles heel is. <laughs> Last year it was Purdue. This year it's the Yellow Jackets. Go ahead. 
Um, but but who is the defensive player that stands out for you? Who's the defensive difference maker for Georgia Tech that when you play against better opponents, opponents with skill position players, that you could say, yeah, this is a defense that can keep the opponent in the 20s? Well, I agree with you. I, I don't think it's a dominant defense by any stretch. I think it's a, a defense that can play within their system, and I think they can force teams to methodically work down the field. Obviously, with the triple option, as you know, Rich, if they fall behind, especially in double digits, that's their Achilles heel because mm-hmm. then they're forced out of right, their right. game plan and they have to pass to come from behind. That's not what their MO is. They jump up on teams early and they milk the clock, ball control type of offense, much like uh, your uh, fan favorite over there in Bill Snyder and Kansas State. When they fall yes. behind in ball games, I'm on again. Th- yeah, that's well, we have Big 12 talk coming up, but uh, that's something for a couple of weeks down the road, but that that's their Achilles yep. heel. So I agree with you, but the defense can be preserved when they run the football consistently. Now, I'll say this. I set you up. Yes, I knew Max Brown was there at Pittsburgh, but you failed to mention that they do lose their offensive coordinator, Matt Canada, who now has become mm-hmm. the, the offensive coordinator at LSU, and that's a big loss for that offense. I mean, you can say what you want, Huge but loss. that 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 offense really came alive under Matt Canada. They averaged 38 points per game, and Matt Canada coached up Nate Peterman to a fifth-round selection in the NFL draft. I know Max Brown is a top recruit, couldn't get it done last year. In USC, gave way to Sam Darnold, but now when you have a new coordinator and a new quarterback starting the year together, yeah, there's some growing pains with that type of situation. Wouldn't you agree? No, totally. Yeah, totally. Matt Canada did a remarkable job. No disrespect to Nate Peterman, but he, he looked like a journeyman prior to getting to Pittsburgh. He winds up leaving, as you astutely mentioned, he winds up leaving as a draft choice and a, and a possible long career in the NFL. So a lot of credit to Matt Canada. Now the, the onus falls on Sean Watson, veteran offensive coordinator. I think this is still going to be a good offense. I think with Max Brown, I mentioned Jester Wee on the outside. Uh, Quadri Henderson might be the most dynamic all-around playmaker in the entire country. Yeah, you lose James Conner in the backfield, but as you know, Joe, with a Pat Narduzzi team, it's kind of plug-and-play in terms of the power running game. So look for someone like Chris James, a Wisconsin transfer, uh, Quadri Allison, uh, who was ACC Rookie of the Year a couple of years ago. So I think they'll still be in good shape. They have the outstanding offensive line. All begins with the offensive line. Brian O'Neill, one of the better offensive linemen in the country. So I think they'll still score points. The problem for me for Pittsburgh is can they stop anyone from throwing the ball? And they couldn't do that in two, uh, great, 2016. Great point because they were ranked 127th out of 128 teams right above Arizona yeah. State. They le- allowed 333 passing yards per game last year to opposing offenses, untypical of a Pat Narduzzi defense. And I've said it before, when defensive coordinators become head coaches, a la Bo Pelini, a la Bob Stoops, defense takes second hand when when they want to try to Mm -hmm. overcompensate for the offense. So we'll talk some Pittsburgh a little bit.
little bit later in the show, but we're going to break down some Virginia Tech right now. We have a special guest on the Fantasy Sports Celebrity Guest Line, former Hokies running back Ken Oxendine joins us. Ken, I mean, a breakthrough year last year, 10-4 and in Justin Fuente's first season as head coach. Takes some major losses with Bucky Hodges, Isaiah Ford moving on, and of course, Gerard Evans. Do you feel this team has what it takes to get back to the championship game this year? I definitely do. Uh, they, you know, they have a great their defense. They got a, you know, extraordinary guys that are coming back. Uh, you got um, some, the Edmonds brothers who will be playing, you know, top-notch football this year. Uh, and you know, offensively, they got some key components that's still coming back. But as you said, they, they they they've lost a lot of that depth and a lot of that 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 senior type type. Uh, talent that's, that's, that's coming out. But they got some guys coming in that's going to really help, you know, move move the ball a little bit. Uh, the one guy, uh, what is it, uh, I think it's uh, uh, Trey Turner. Uh, some of those guys going to cross in Patterson. A lot of those guys are coming in. But I'm, uh, Bud Foss always got a plan. You know, defensively, he's going to be ready. He's going to have those guys, you know, ready to get going to the office and get their groove going until they can figure out, you know, who will be that quarterback. You know, that's the biggest pothole that we got to figure out is who's going to be that guy uh, that's coming in, that's going to be uh, taking, on, uh, um, taking on, taking the lead at, uh, on the offensive side. And, and to that point, Ken, can you just talk a little bit about uh, Josh Jackson? I, I mean, I, I heard a lot of good things in terms of practice last year and what he brings to the offense, but could you shed a little bit of light for our audience and what to expect from the redshirt freshman if, in fact, he wins the job? Well, he, you know, he's from a – he has a, uh, you know, a, a football background. His dad coached uh, for, you know, for so many years, so he knows the game. And that's the biggest thing. The football IQ is huge for a QB. You know, a guy who, who plays it from an athletic standpoint and just, you know, playing on the, you know, just just backyard-type football and learning the system as it goes. But then when you have a guy who's been ingrained in it and that's been around it, uh, you know, it's going to allow them to be able to do a good job and to be able to be more, more focused and a little more um, uh, not as raw. Ken, for playing for legendary head coach Bud, uh, excuse me, Frank Beamer, what is the biggest change that you saw from Justin Fuente last year in the transition from Frank Beamer to that team last year, especially on the offensive side of the ball? I would say a, a true identity. You know, the the, the years in the past uh, uh, prior to really the first, uh, you know, through the, the 90s and the early 2000s, you know, they, we had an uh, idea where we ran the ball and we played action to get everything going. Uh, then, but then we went through, Coach Green went through a transitional uh, phase where it was more QB read, a lot of the things that, you know, where it, it, it put on a lot of, I would say, load on the QB. Last year, you know, uh, Justin, uh, uh, Coach Wendt, you really, you know, allowed the offense to know what, to have an I- I- identity of what they were doing. So it was, it was, you, and you saw it. You know, we put up points where the quarterback led by his arm, not so much by his feet, uh, and uh, we were able to, you know, really score some points and do some great things. 
We'll, we'll get with Ken in a little bit. I mean, that's an intriguing point, Rich. Uh, we're going to keep him on to the back end before we go to break. But I, I think when I look at this team overall, that, that's a great point that he said in terms of uh, having an identity. And I want to touch on that because uh, for years it was on the defensive side of the ball, the physicality, blue-collar type of mentality. And Justin Fuente brought a new infusion to that offense last year. We're going to come back. We're going to talk to Ken Oxendine. We'll be breaking down Virginia Tech. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from Studio 34, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on the College Football Today preseason special, Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from Studio 34, New York City, talking ACC Coastal. We're talking Virginia Tech. And we're talking with former Hokies running back Ken Oxendine, who's live on the Fantasy Sports Celebrity Guest Line. Ken, how big of a, a, of a hold was it for Justin Fuente to retain defensive coordinator Bud Foster and, and the way that defense responded in 2016 in leading that defense and unit to an ACC championship appearance? Uh, I, I think it was, it was huge. I think... Uh... Um, to a degree, you know, a combination that Bud probably wanted to be the transitional guy to take uh, to become, you know, um, the head coach at Virginia Tech. But on the same note, you know, he's been great for so long. So you're looking at a lot of people who in the past that wanted to get him, but also who still wants to, you know, and who who could well he could still go and become a, a great leader. I think, but in his sense, you know, he was more or less well. I love where I'm at. And I love what I do, I, you know, and thing is, that's what you don't get from a lot of programs. You know, he's comfortable with, you know, where he's in his life and in his career, I believe, you know, being a great D.C. And, shoot, and, and then you also look at a lot of times, shoot, a lot of great coordinators don't become great D.C. or, uh, you know, great, great head, head guys. So I think that may have been something in the back of his mind. But, you know, just knowing what he got at Virginia Tech and how much they respect him and all those things, I think that was one of the things that really helped keep him there. Hey, Ken, just keeping it on defense, um, you know, I love to talk about one of the great things about college football is who's the next man in, who's the next big star. I kind of expect that with Tim Settle, the defensive tackle. Do you think this is his time to really bust out uh, in in his third season? You know, that's the one thing you when you think about, you know, young kids and who you're coaching, when are they going to really go full force at what they're doing? You know, when are they going to be a uh, that person that you, you, you brought them in to be, that recruit, that five-star, four-star guy? And so, you know, you really hope that he can, he can come in and, you know, and really be that, that moving force you know, on, on the D-line. So, you know, and that's the, that's the biggest thing is, you know, because that's what drives your defense, really. You know, you, and the people really don't realize that defensively you're as good as your defensive line. Offensively you're as good as your offensive line. Ken, great insight, great information. We thank you for joining us today on this beautiful uh, July Saturday. We're 49 days away from the start of the college football season. We'd love to get you on as we inch closer to that West Virginia matchup week number one. We hope you enjoyed it today. All right, thank you. I appreciate it, and go Hokies. 
That was former Virginia Tech running back Ken Oxendine, just a blue-collar guy and really epitomized what Frank Beamer yeah. built there in Blacksburg. Great insight, and we've heard it, how big of a, a hold and a retain it was to keep Bud Foster yeah. there for the success of that program, Rich. Yeah, you know what? He was uh, he was a part of the Frank Beamer success for for two decades, two decades plus. Uh, I mean, Bud Foster was the one figure that we came to expect. That and special teams were two of the things that we really came to sort of uh, uh, correlate to the Frank Beamer era. Frank Beamer was gone, but to maintain Bud Foster, there still was a link to the old Beamer staff. It was great for the defense and for the upperclassmen. Uh, now it's time to see if Virginia Tech, listen, Virginia Tech proved under Fuente that they could once again be a player in the Coastal Division, but now can they stay there with without all of those missing pieces on offense? And a lot is going to fall on their young quarterback, Josh Jackson, who it looks, it's not a certainty, we'll see in August, but it looks as if he'll be the successor to Gerard Evans. Yeah, and I think we're both in agreement uh, that Evans should have stayed in school. We'll, we'll touch on that yeah. right after I make this point, though. Uh, I agree with you. I think when you look at the defense overall, the transition that they were able to make under Bud Foster last year, they were a young defense two years ago when they struggled, obviously, in run support. They allowed around 184 rushing yards per game. They got much better last year. They only allowed around 140 yards on the ground that secondary played better man-to-man coverage and it allowed Bud Foster to utilize blitz packages and get quarterback pressure something that they were not doing two years ago and you can look at that win in the bowl game in the belt bowl against Austin Allen in Arkansas really turned that game around in the second half and his ability to make halftime adjustments is really what turned that team around for much of the year last year but the offensive losses now Outside the quarterback, Gerard Evans, they also lose leading wide receiver Isaiah Ford. And in my opinion, the best mm-hmm. tight end in college football, especially when we broke down the draft, in my opinion, I love Bucky Hodges. What he was able to do in terms of creating mismatches on nickelbacks and linebackers, they do have Cam Phillips, they do have McMillan, the running back, coming back. But those are huge losses from a scheme perspective yeah. that Fuente loved to utilize last year. And as good as Justin is at developing quarterbacks and manufacturing passing games, Joe, I think it's it's impossible to expect the same production through the air than they had last year with Gerard Evans. And that being the case, you mentioned Trevon McMillan, Stephen Peoples. I think the backfield is going to be, I think there's going to be a lot of competition uh, to see who the feature back is this summer, but they're going to have to run the ball better than they have in recent seasons to take the pressure off that new quarterback. And just one thing defensively, the reason why I wanted to bring up Timmy Settle uh, to Ken is defensive line lost a, a lot of talent as well. Woody Barron, Nigel Williams, Ken Akanum. They lost some some quality veteran talent along the defensive line. So someone is going to have to step up and generate pressure along with Vinny Mahota, the one returning starter along the defensive front. That's going to be a key for, for Bud Foster in 2017. It really will be, and we'll see if they can do it. I mean, when you look at their schedule overall, West Virginia is a winnable ball game. They follow that up with Delaware at ECU who loses Philip Nelson and Zay Jones so those are huge losses for that offense. Old Dominion was a bowl team in 2016. They were 10-3 and overall. Clemson at Boston College so 
a winnable September and October schedule. But then you yep. look at the second half. They do go on the road at Miami, at Georgia Tech, who they lost to last year. Uh, they play Pittsburgh and then uh, their their arch rival in terms of rivalry with Virginia. So I, I think that the offensive losses for me are where I'm not sold on this team. Last year, I thought, you know, Fuente was a solid coach. I picked him to go to the ACC championship game because of their skilled players. I'm not sold this year. Defensively, I think they'll be fine. I'm picking them in the area mm-hmm. of eight and four. I think they're they, they take a minor step back. I don't think they go back completely, yeah. but I think a minor step back it's because fair. because Evans was like Logan Thomas. I don't know who gave him the right uh, in terms of yeah. uh, information, but to leave school yeah. after one year and think that you're going to be drafted, uh, a bad decision all the way around. Yeah, no, it it bothers me. Just the fan in me gets bugged when I see that happen because it's a disservice to the development of a young quarterback. Gerard Evans came by way of junior college. He has the one season in Blacksburg. He gets to to learn under the tutelage of Justin Fuente. To get a second season under Fuente clearly would have helped his long-term potential. Now, that doesn't mean he can't make an NFL roster potentially uh, as a PFA, but undrafted free agent with an opportunity to spend a second season with one of the better quarterback coaches in college football. It's a shame, but it's something that we see increasingly uh, every January, a lot of players leaving for the NFL draft before it's their time. And Kaya, I think we're in agreement as well. I mean, I think Kaya should have stayed yeah. with Mark Rick for oh, yeah. one more year. I mean, yep. uh, granted, I understand he got drafted. He's a mid-tier pick. Uh, again, what he's looking for. But if you want to have a finished product, especially if you're a quarterback, mm-hmm. to work with a coach like Mark Rick in the University of Miami for another year to get that experience – um, again, I don't want to touch too much on it, but again, I think we're in agreement in that, that Kaya and Evans were two quarterbacks yeah. within the conference that should have stayed in school. Absolutely. I, I agree with you in terms of Brad Kaya. The only downside, of course, is going to be injury. Uh, but if you're a high-profile player and, and you have the resources, the school should be able to kick it in, you take out an insurance policy. I think Brad Kaya with another season with Eamon Richards on the outside, Mark Rick you mentioned as his head coach, I think it would have benefited his development. But I, I think they listen, kids listen to the wrong people. They get lured by the potential to be drafted, the money, I want to get out of school, I want to move on. And oftentimes it winds up being a poor business decision. Now we turn our attention to North Carolina. This is a team that does get Brandon Harris, the former LSU quarterback, to take over for Mitch Trubisky. But huge losses on the offensive side of the ball, especially at the skilled players when you look at this team overall. I mean, I do not feel this is a team that can compete in the Coastal. I know some people feel like they have. Larry Fedora has done a fantastic job there. They were 8-5 and five last year. But you look at the offensive losses, running backs, Elijah Hood, T.J. Logan. You look at the wide receivers, leading wide receiver, Ryan Switzer, Bug Howard, and Mac Hollins. Rich, those five players accounted for 216 total receptions, 2,634 receiving yards, and 21 receiving touchdowns in 2016. Huge losses for the offense, and I think this team is 6-6 six and six in 2017. 
Yeah, I, I think this is one of those reset years in Chapel Hill, Joe, where if you get a bonus game, if you're playing in a December bowl game, you get 15 additional practices to work with your younger kids. That might be the benchmark of a successful season for the Tar Heels. Clearly a step back. I don't see a lot of scary talent. Larry Fedora's fantastic with offenses, so they'll be better in the second half of the season with the ball than they will in September. We'll come back. We'll talk Tar Heels. Keep it where it is. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on the last segment of College Football Today from Studio 34, Joe Lisi, Ritz Sermonello. We're breaking down the ACC Coastal. We left off with North Carolina and Larry Fedora talking about the offensive losses on the uh, offensive side of the ball for the upcoming season. But, Rich, the major loss on the defensive side of the ball is defensive coordinator Gene Chizik that has now left football to concentrate on his family. Yeah, that took a lot of people by surprise. I thought it was a courageous decision by Gene Chizik. I mean, you could just tell by listening to his interviews and his press conferences, this this was not an easy decision. It was something that weighed on his mind. Uh, family comes first for, for many, if not all of us, and it certainly did for Gene Chizik, and I think it was best for him. And ultimately, maybe best for the program. If he was uh, distracted, uh, if he was having a hard time focusing on the Tar Heels, it was time to move on. So now it's John Papuchis who will be the defensive coordinator. Defense has not been the strength for North Carolina. And when you look at their personnel losses, the loss of uh, Chiswick, I think it's going to be another tough year. So the onus is going to fall on Brandon Harris to really... Uh, be the catalyst of that offense and, and really drag the Tar Heels into shootouts if they're going to compete on a week-to-week basis. And when you look at Harris's game, unfortunately, I mean, didn't show a whole lot from an offensive perspective at LSU with their methodical blue-collar type of offense. Now he's got to get the football out three and four seconds, make his reads, make his progressions. In terms of the vertical passing game, he has a solid receiver in Austin Prohl that does come back to the program. But again, when the cupboard is dry with those losses on the offensive side of the ball, you're asking a lot from an inconsistent quarterback in a new system starting the season. I think it's a second life type. So I didn't love Harris at LSU, but part of the problem was not all his fault. I think it was the system. I think it was what Les Miles was doing in Baton Rouge. Uh, they had sort of, uh, you know, they had sort of put him in a pen and did not allow him to fully become a playmaker. I think now under Larry Fedora, you'll see a better version of Brandon Harris. But I think you mentioned it in the last segment. You know, Harris unfortunately goes to a Tar Heel team which no longer has Elijah Hood, no longer has Bug Howard, no longer has Ryan Switzer. So all of those fancy tools that were at the disposal of Mitch Trubisky, not the case for Brandon Harris. So I I think he'll be better than the LSU version we saw, but certainly nowhere near what the uh, Tar Heels were used to, not just with Trubisky, but also Marquise Williams. And if anybody wanted to know why Mitch Trubisky decided to leave, when you lose 219 total receptions, 2,634 yards, and 21 touchdowns, uh, I'd be leaving as well because he did become a first-round draft pick in the NFL. I broke it down. This is my picks, and I'm sticking by them. You know how I feel about the Atlantic. I have Georgia Tech at 9-3, Miami at 8-4, Va Tech at 8-4, Pittsburgh with their anemic 
anemic defense, still at seven and five. North Carolina at six and six. I do have Virginia creeping up above Duke, even though I know you love Daniel Jones. I love Sean Wilson as well, but defensively, they have some concerns. That's where I have Virginia nudging ahead of Duke. How do you have it playing out for 2017? Yeah, I, I think we're close. I give you a ton of credit uh, going with Georgia Tech. I don't think it's a uh, I don't think it's an out of left field type of a pick. We'll be watching them very closely. But I'm going to take Miami. Mark Richt, second season, offensive line play, defensive line play, superior to anyone else in the Coastal Division. The one team I want to quickly mention. I know we're running out of time, but Duke I think gets back to the postseason. I think with Daniel Jones on offense, a very good core of linebackers. I could see them around six and six. Sneaking into the postseason and getting out of the ACC Coastal Cellar. We are just getting started. This is our first show of the offseason. Stay with us each and every Saturday, 10 to 12 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. For Rich Sermonello, I'm Joe Lisi. Next week is Big Ten. Stay with us all season long. Have a great weekend, everyone.